Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host for this discipleship series, Gwen McCaslin. It's nice to have you guys. Um, we are picking up a New Testament survey, um, and we are in the first four books, which is the gospel. Um the Gospels. And the focus of the Gospels is this is the eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ. And some of them have been gathered. So when you get to the book of Luke, basically he's a he's like a historian. He's actually a doctor by profession, but he's like a historian in that he's very careful at collecting and his facts. And we can we know by the first um, verse, couple of verses in Luke, that he is attempting to put together a chronological um, that he's very careful about his timing uh, for the events in this book. So he adds a lot of details that actually aren't in some of the other gospel accounts. And so he fills in some of the, the gaps for us, if you will. And one of the things that we kind of see coming into the book of Luke um, is that we definitely see how Jesus is received as an eight-year-old baby, as an eight-day-old baby. Uh, going into the temple. And we see that there are two people, a man and a woman, who are very specifically, their stories are very specifically shared. Um, And so I wanted to kind of point out those because a lot of times we overlook them. And so the one is in, um, it's Luke chapter 2, and it's Let's see. Uh, It starts in probably verse uh, 25. It says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and he was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, or the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Now, I just love that because literally the Holy Spirit is moving in the lives of a man to do something that carries out the custom of the law. Because you have to understand God is being so careful that Jesus completely satisfies the Old Testament covenant because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament covenant, okay? So he takes Jesus into his arms and he blesses God and he says, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people a light of revelation to the Gentiles, which is so beautiful because even in this very beginning stages, we're represented, we're the Gentiles. Uh, if we have not heritage in the Jewish uh, Jewish heritage, we are those Gentiles that are grafted in. Um, the glory of your people Israel and his father and mother were amazed at the at all these things which were being said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that many thoughts that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Um, And so even Mary um, was given just a little bit of prophetic wisdom to take and ponder in her heart. I just, can you imagine 
being the mother of the Messiah. And she knew that. She knew it from the moment the angel came to her. She knew it when the shepherds came and told of what the angels had told them. Um, Because remember, those shepherds, those shepherds knew what it meant to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They knew that's what you did with a Passover lamb. They knew it because if that lamb was spotless and and free of blemish, you took care of it. You wrapped it up and you put it in a stone manger. Um, And so they knew what that said when they showed up and saw Jesus wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. They knew that that was a foreshadowing of how he was going to become the Passover lamb that that you know, would be slain for the sin of the world. They knew what that meant, you know, and I just think of how that echoes perfectly in Revelations where we see the lamb standing as if slain and he alone is qualified to open the scroll. Um, And so it's just beautiful imagery that's carried all the way through. And and yeah, anyway, so uh, verse 36, we're going to talk about Anna. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel um, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then widowed at the age of 84. She had never left the temple serving Um, sorry, widowed to the age of 84. She had never left the temple serving night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God, continuing to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Um, And so Luke is very careful to kind of let us know some of the things that he feels are really uh, important, the surrounding the birth of Jesus. And so he would have been doing um, interviews and all kinds of things to kind of compile and put together his account. Um, keep in mind, this book is very articulate and it is very um, carefully put together in order, in its order. Um, and so one of the things I actually discovered this week and looking a little bit deeper into Luke is that um, Luke is actually, the book of Luke is a two-part book. In that Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Um, He's the writer who wrote both. Um, And so Acts is very much to be seen as the rest of the story to the book of Luke. So there you go. Um, The other thing that I found that I thought was particularly amazing in this is that um, Luke was a physician, and physicians would have been highly regarded in their day uh, for their training and their skill set and um, and everything. And so there would have been a lot of privileges given because of their status, so to speak. Um, and so one of the things I found was actually the book of Luke, um, the Greek used in Luke gives us evidence of being the best educated use of Greek in the entire New Testament. So not only was he well-educated, but when he wrote the book of Luke, it's a masterpiece. So I, anyway, I just was kind of tickled at that. I, I think sometimes um, God's word is reduced to ridiculous the way we look at it sometimes. Uh, we take it for granted or just assume that words ended up. And we don't think that this actually contains different types of literature and um, beautifully written 
pieces of, of uh, Hebrew literature and Greek. Um, and so honestly, like this was another one of those moments where I'm like, well, of course, God, because you're the one that authored all of, you know, our lives and, you know, you know us. And anyway, I, yeah, it was just a moment. So, <laughs> um, another one of my favorite stories, and I'm kind of just skipping around here a little bit, but another one of my favorite stories in the book of Luke is actually the Good Samaritan. Um, and most of you, if you've grown up in Sunday school, had somebody tell you the story of the Samaritan. And their main point was usually that, you know, the enemy has compassion on a man that should he should never have had compassion on him. And that is the gist of the story. But I wanted to kind of bring that out and kind of talk it through. A little bit more um, because I want to highlight some of the heritage here. In John chapter 4, we're going to meet the woman at the well, and she was a Samaritan. And so we're going to see a little bit more in depth about Samaritans. But I'm going to start here by reading in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 30, the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, so if you want to join along, go ahead and grab your Bible. Um, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now I'm going to stop here and I'm going to give you a little piece of just geography information. Um, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho would have been one that the audience hearing this would have gone, oh, we know that road, um, because it went down. Um, and so you went downhill and back uphill, but in the middle, you were right beside caves. Um, and the caves were like the perfect place for robbers to lay in ambush. Okay. And so when you went through, it was very common that you could be ambushed. Um, and so, you know, it would have been a very common occurrence to come across somebody who'd been beaten pretty bad. Um, that, you know, is a very realistic and very believable uh, situation for uh, the audience of this day. Okay, and so it would be a little bit like us imagining having to walk from one end of Harlem to the other. Or if you were in Johannesburg, South Africa, um, it would be like Bromfontein, um, where you just know something might happen um, because it's that kind of area. Or, you know, it's got the perfect setup, and it's known for that. And so you got to love how Jesus uses the environment around him to really engage his audience um, because he is a master of that, which, you know, he is the master of all creation. But um, one of the things that you need to appreciate is how Jesus ties in what his audience would have been looking at, seeing everyday stuff they would have been so aware of. But he uses their real life to teach them key principles and things. Okay, so we're going to keep going in verse 31. By chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put on his put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Then on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will return 
Uh, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Um, and he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said to him, now go and do the same. Um, there's a couple things I want to point out in this. Um, and the the first one I want to point out is that, you know, his examples are a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Now, a priest was always a Levite, but a Levite was not necessarily a priest. Um, and so basically the thing you um, I've found kind of about Levites is that um, they would have taken a vow to serve. And so, you know, this would be kind of like um, somebody who does church ministry. Um, it, they would have been more of a lay minister, but they would have been very committed to giving their lives to serving in the temple. Um, and so they would have been like the priest's assistants. Um, they would have cleaned up things. They would have tidied. They would have just done anything a priest needed done uh, in the background. And so, um, yeah, and so this would have been a very recognizable person. Like, this is like a, the equivalent of a missionary in our day and age. You know, you would never expect a missionary to pass by somebody broken and beating beaten um you just wouldn't and so basically you have basically an evangelist or a pastor in the in the priest role and then you would have kind of like a director of a women's ministry as the levite role and so these would have been two roles in the jewish world that should be all around caring for others and you know um and just taking you know being God's hands and feet. I mean, they were giving their lives in ministry. Um, and so for them to be used as an example, and bear in mind that the audience may have contained both of these, priests and Levites. Um, and so, you know, for both of them, you know, the priests would have gone, well, absolutely, we passed to the other side because of the holy laws, and we couldn't, you know, that would contaminate us. And, you know, and so they would have had reasons for that because keep in mind that handling blood a lot of times would make you unclean. And so during different seasons of festivals or whatever, when there's a focus on purity, um, you know, the priests would have felt justified to pass by uh, this poor, um, this poor uh, person beat up. Um, and the interesting thing is, it doesn't really tell us the man. You know, it says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, but it doesn't tell us for sure that he's a Jew. But it's kind of assumed here that you know the priests and the Levite would they should take care of their brother. Um, is kind of the idea here. But then we get to verse 33. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came to him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. There's a couple of things I want to point out here, because this road between Jericho and Jerusalem would have been one of the main places ways that you got from one place to the other, um, especially for trade and other things. Um, and so, you know, if he's on a trip, he's probably got business he's got to get to, or he's got an appointment, he's got to be there by a certain time. And so for him to stop and, and do what he does next, uh, probably messed up his entire day, um, or his entire purpose, mission, whatever. Um, and so we have no idea the cost for this Samaritan to do this, but 
Um, when he sees him, he feels compassion. The one thing I want you to understand is that you are going to see a lot of moments in the book of Luke where you see somebody demonstrating or talking about compassion. Because Luke is a doctor, and he has a lot of compassion for the broken, the hurting, the sick, the dying. Um, And so, you know, in his experience of Jesus, he is going to identify probably more so with God's compassion, with Jesus's compassion for the lost um, than maybe some of the other gospel writers would. And so, you know, you're going to hear that come out because remember, this is God giving his word through man um, to other men. Um, And so to us, you know, um, and so basically what you've got here is God using Luke as the pen here. And so his character is going to come out a little bit um, because God's going to use that to get across the point that he wants carried across. Um, And so God is very specific when he calls Luke to do this. And so don't don't look at the author as an accident because nothing in God's word is an accident. Every single thing that is here is here on purpose. And so when you read God's word, looking at the word of God that way, all of a sudden you go, okay, well, wait a minute. What does it actually say? And what doesn't it say? And so you pay attention a little bit closer to what the word of God actually says. All right. So he feels compassion. And then what comes next is a beautiful example of what a doctor would do. Um, And so you can see Luke in this profession. um, And they believe that actually Luke, Luke probably was a Greek um, or, you know, a Roman citizen, possibly that he might have had that in common with Paul, um, which is maybe one of the reasons why he tagged along with Paul other than being a physician. Um, Paul in his later life would have definitely needed the care of a physician. And so he definitely, that last journey um, before his death is the one that Luke accompanies for sure with him. Um, and stays with him for a while. Um, Okay, so anyway, what we get here in verse 34 is the modern medicine of the day. You would have used oil and wine to treat wounds and to um, uh, medicinal, for medicinal purposes. Um, And so they have very much a bacteria killing element and a healing element to them. Um. Okay, and then he puts him on his own beast and brings him to an inn and took care of him. So the next day, he takes out two denarii. Now, the thing about denarii is that's two days of wage. So keep that in mind. That's the average um, worker's daily wage is a denarii in that day and age. And so he takes out two days' wages and gives them to the innkeeper. So if you make about... an hour, it would be about $80 a day, uh, doing just a basic eight hour day. Um, and so, you know, that's what, 160 bucks that just out of your pocket here, take care of him. I'll come back through. And when I do, you know, if he's needed to stay here anymore, I'll take care of it. Um, that's kind of like paying for somebody's hospital stay, (laughs) so to speak. Um, because you know, we didn't have hospitals back then. So any case, um, take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will return and I will repay you. And so basically, he's just said, uh, blank check, I'll I'll pay for treatment, whatever, you know, if you have to buy more materials, if you've got to, you know, whatever, I'll pay it when I return. 
And so his question to the man who had asked him about neighbors is where we end with the story of the Good Samaritan. And so he turns to that man and he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Um, That man looks at Jesus and he basically replies, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Um, And so the interesting thing I want to point out is that many, many, many times when Jesus interacts with people, he will look at them and say, go and do the same or go and sin no more. Very rarely do people leave Jesus without being charged to change. Um, And I find that beautiful because how do you encounter your Savior and not walk away changed? I don't think you can. And so I think that's part of the beauty of being in the book, to be in the Word of God, is that it changes us because it's living and active um, and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it pierces soul and marrow, and it's a divider of the thoughts and the intents. I already said that, didn't I? (laughs) But the thing is, God sees our hearts, and he has a way of using his word um, and the Holy Spirit speaking into us that can walk right into our world where we need him the most and speak. And a lot of times when God does that speaking, we walk out going, whoa, wow, with a paradigm shift or, you know, just Uh, an awareness of something we've never seen before or a a wound healed or, you know, a, a, a lie replaced with truth. And then we have to learn how to walk it out. (laughs) We have to learn how to walk out our truth, that truth. Um, you know, we have to learn to go, okay, if this is true, then what? Um, All right, anyway, so this one is just such a beautiful example of where Luke shows up and kind of how he writes here um, and in this story. So there you go. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. And I love the story that follows. It's the story of Martha and Mary. Um, And you've got Martha who's so busy with her doing. Um, And you've got that Martha is so excited. Can you imagine welcoming Jesus into her home? And she is just a buzz with all of the stuff she wants to do and how she wants to serve. I can imagine she's just so excited. But then she sees her sister not doing a thing to help. Uh, and she sees she sees Mary, um, who's seated, seated at Jesus' feet, listening to his words. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to do all of the serving alone. Then tell her to help me. Don't you feel like a little girl who's tattling on her sister there? (laughs) Sorry, I got two kids and I feel like they do that to me all the time. Mom, don't you care? Um, Anyway, uh, but here we see the Lord's answer. And he says to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. The one thing I want to point out is that Jesus never asks to be have a feast prepared for him. You know, you can just imagine what she's preparing. I mean, she is probably cooking everything she has in the house, all of her best dishes, and, you know, she's frantically running around trying to make sure she's got, you know, the best of the best because it's Jesus. And, and he's looking at her, and he's like, I, yeah, he didn't ask for any of that. 
And so Mary's chosen to just enjoy his presence. Um, and so I, th- I don't know. This is just a good lesson for me because, you know, in my planning and in when I get excited, I can allow those details to drown out um, life so that I miss that there needs to be moments where I just let all of that go and I just sit. And I sit at the Father's feet. I sit at Jesus' feet. I just sit there. And I absorb and listen and I spend time. Um, the one thing I love in the Gospels is when we see Jesus sneak away to get time with the Lord. Um, we see him do that in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see him do that um, before or after major miracles. Um, and almost like he recharges. He recharges in the relationship he has with the Lord. Um, that he goes and he spends time with the Father. A little bit later on in the book of John, we're going to talk about how connected Jesus and his father are. And one of the things that is said in the book of John is that Jesus says, I and the father are one. I don't speak anything but what the father says. Um, And then he goes on and he says the Holy Spirit doesn't speak anything outside of what the father says. Um, and so there's like this this idea that, and it's it's echoed again in Hebrews chapter one, where Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So if you see Jesus's heart filled with compassion, then you know that the heart of God is filled with compassion. Um, when you see Jesus get angry at somebody taking advantage of someone else, like for example the, the money changers in the temple. You need to understand that in the heart of God, there is anger that burns at someone who takes advantage of somebody else. Um, And so, you know, if you look through the Gospels and you just look for the emotional experience of Jesus, uh, it gives you a full picture of Jesus's humanity. And then what does it look like to take that and go, wait a minute, if Jesus has these full ranges of emotions, are emotions really a bad thing? Because I've heard people from the pulpit say that emotions are horrible things. And I want to sit there and go, but they're like Jesus. Jesus has them all. God has them all. Jealousy, anger, love. God has a full heart of emotions. We're made in his image. And the one thing I'm going to leave you with is this. Emotions are not, should not be in the driver's seat. They are the dashboard that lets you know when something's going on with your car. In other words, when you see hurt, you need to recognize that something got broken or misused or treated in a way that it shouldn't have been. If you see anger, you need to ask yourself where there's been an offense um, or where something uh, has been violated because anger usually speaks to a violation of some kind. Um, so you know, I think of that one like your check engine light <laughs> um, in some ways because that's the one that lets you know that something pretty big has just happened. Um, joy lets you know that something's going well. It's like the full tank of gas, <laughs> you know, uh, when that little the, the thing goes on and it's like, okay, car's happy. It's nice and full. Um, and so I like to look at emotions like they give you vital information for how you live life. Um, And so the counselor in me wants to tell you that if you have exaggerated emotions, what it means is that usually something's been triggered and kicked up. 
And so in that, you need to ask yourself, okay, when have I felt this before? And put words to what you're feeling. I'm feeling what? Because why? Um, and get that in a sentence form. And there might be two or three emotions that kick up and a couple of reasons why. But if that emotion does not seem to match the situation you're dealing with, then probably what you have is that earlier in life, there was a moment that mirrors this one in some way. And that moment has kind of been awakened and all of that pain has come rushing forward. And so you're dealing with more than just the pain or the emotions from this moment. You're dealing with some history that's kind of being poured into this moment. And so your reaction might be a little bit more volcanic than you want it to be. And so just understand whenever you have an exaggerated emotional response or it's more than what the situation calls for, for example, if you can look at the situation and go, okay, honestly, had that stuff not happened in my past, I probably would be a two about this but I'm not a two. I'm a seven. Okay. That tells you that you've got some work to take before the Lord, that you've got something to go, okay, Lord, I need you to speak to this. And it's in those moments that beautiful things can happen. So there's a little bit of counseling tidbit. I don't really do that usually on the podcast, but um, anyway, I just had some fun in Luke with you guys today, and we are going to pick up next week in the book of John. All right. See you next time. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.